All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Cross Street Coaching. Today with me, I have Becky. Hi everyone, Jason, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Glad to have you. So Becky, how do you like to be introduced? Why don't we kick off that way? Well, so let me just tell you a little bit about my story. I think that's um, probably the most helpful way to, to explain who I am. So I'm a full-time executive coach who really focuses on helping driven leaders step into their next level authentic leadership in all of the ways and things that that means. Um, but before I got to this place over the course of a couple decades long career so far, I took kind of a winding road to get here, which included a really healthy dash of doing what other people thought I should do. <laughs> so graduated college, spent a couple years in corporate, went to law school, then spent five years as litigation associate at a big national law firm uh, in the D.C. area. And at that point, I found myself with a two-year-old daughter and a husband who also had a busy and demanding career in the intelligence community. And for the first time probably in my life, I asked myself what I wanted and needed from my career to be happy. It never really engaged in that inquiry before. And so I just had always been kind of taking the next logical step. And that led to a series of career transitions that included some left turns and some pay cuts to really start building the career and life that I wanted. So I spent time on the administrative side of law firms, managing a whole bunch of people, um, worked in entrepreneurial finance. And then when I got laid off effectively from that job, I had another moment where I found myself again wrestling with that, what do I want to do versus what I, what I should or could do? Um, and with the help of a coach, landed on coaching. And I'm a coach because I really like enabling the success of others. It allows me to both have joy and spread joy, which is pretty much what I've decided uh, is my personal mission. That's a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> it's a lot, but it's, you know, it's my story. It's how I landed here. And it's uh, really informs the work that I do today. Yeah. And there's a lot. I mean, that's enough for two lifetimes there. <laughs> and I'm only 44. So <laughs> I have a, at least a whole, a whole double hopefully left. So yeah, absolutely. With modern medicine, most of us are going to live between 80 and hundred. Yep. Maybe by the time we get there, it'll be even further than that. Yeah. Crazy. So Becky, there's a, a lot of things that you said to unpack. And one of the things that I honed in on is the fact that you came to this point with several kind of points in your career that you realized, you know, you needed to find out what makes you happy. What is bringing mm -hmm. you joy in your career? Um, so let's start there. What exactly led you to realize that that is what's going on? You know, that's a great question. I think it's a combination of things. I think... Um, when I hit that point and I'll take the first point that that happened when I had that young daughter, um, and, you know, kind of looked around, I mean, I can distinctly remember one day I was on a conference call and this was back before cell phones were everywhere. And I had the cordless phone clipped to the back of my pants and headphones in, and I was giving my two-year-old daughter a bath and trying to prepare an expert witness for a deposition and take notes. And I was like, this is not sustainable. So it was truly like a necessity that I reevaluate what I wanted to life to look like. And so as I started down that road, I was like, sure, I could go part time or I could try another law firm or another kind of practice. But the reality was, I looked at that transition as an opportunity to say, wait a minute, how do I want life to look and what really is the most important thing to me? And how do I want to define um, this particular time in my life? And what's my top priority? And so that's really what I what I did then. And then that's what I did again more recently when I looked at coaching. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very kind of sitcom-esque cartoon version where, you you know, you're writing down notes with a, a pen in your foot and you're giving the daughter a bath and you've got the headphones in. And it's all it's all fun and games when it's certainly in that that context of the movie. But when we experience in real life, it's interesting to you that that was a huge, huge red flag. Yeah. And I don't know why that moment versus a hundred other moments where I was trying to juggle a million things. But for some reason, I think I just hit my breaking point there, you know, just like looked around and said, this life, she's two. I'm stuck with her. And I mean that tongue in cheek, right? I love my kids, but (laughs) I'm stuck with her for another, at least 16 years. It can't look like this for 16 years. Something's got to give. So when I think about a lot of people, especially the clients that we serve reach that point. Most people identify and they know that something's wrong, something is amiss. But where it comes to be a little difficulty is that next step. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you were able to do that for yourself. Can you talk a little bit about what that process was to start to to pare down what your values were, what it was to create the the ideal type of life you'd like? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I thought I was doing it quite as much as I was at the time. But looking back, I can tell you that I spent some time really taking stock of what was in my life, you know, kids, husband, job, friends, house, other things, you know, health, spirituality, things that I wanted to spend time on. And then thinking about what I also had in my life that I didn't want, that I wanted to say no to, that I wanted to remove, that I wanted to get out of there, you know, obligations that I had taken on either voluntarily or not voluntarily that I just didn't want to have. So stress, really thinking about what I wanted to, what I wanted to eliminate and then being okay with saying no to some of it, right? Like, and that's hard because some of the things I wanted to eliminate actually were things that I thought defined success, right? Turns out money really wasn't the thing. I could have continued down the path as an associate and made partner and hired two nannies. And people do that and that's great and it works for them. And so I'm not by no means am I bringing any judgment to what your solution is, but I recognize that I could no longer handle everything that was on my plate. And so some of it needed to come off my plate. And what did I want to keep and what did I want to get rid of? And I wanted to keep motherhood very close to the vest. And that became very clear as I sort of engaged in this thinking about what was important or most important to me in my life. Yeah. So we're kind of pairing everything, even though maybe at the time it doesn't sound like you had were able to fully articulate it. But in reflection, you kind of see it as this two column, which is what you want to keep and what you want to get, you know, disregard, say no to. At what point after the first or the second iteration of this did your experience with coaching kind of come into the play? You mean my experience being coached? Yeah. Or yeah. So I didn't hire a coach until um much more recently. I, I didn't even know it was an option back in 2005 when my daughter was two. I think had mm-hmm. I known uh, that would have been a huge help. It definitely was not, you know, a quick decision from that moment, that bathtub moment I described, it was probably another year and a half before I actually was prepared and willing to take the, you know, had figured out what I wanted to do and was ready to take the leap. By contrast, you know, when I got to this this second decision point where I was effectively laid off from this job, I hired a coach, not right away, maybe within six weeks. After six weeks of kind of freaking out a little bit and applying for every job that I could do, which is a lot when you have a decade of management experience and a JD and you're pretty capable, right? 
like most mm-hmm. of us are pretty capable. There's a lot of things you can do. And then again, I had this moment where I'm like, no, no, I'm doing it again. Like, what do I want in my life? And how am I going to figure this out? And that's when I hired a coach. And I would say eight weeks later, I was clear on a plan of what I wanted to do, what I wanted my life to look like, and what I needed to do to make that happen. Wow. Just eight weeks to Just eight success. Weeks. I mean, granted, <laughs> I had a lot of time to devote to the enterprise at that point. Um, but I think I was really committed to digging in and doing the hard work and figuring it out. And obviously over the past couple of years that, that happened a couple of years ago and over the past couple of years I've tweaked and modified and you're constantly evolving, but I had a really solid foundation after working with a coach for sure. Do you think that's true for the clients that you serve in order to really make the most out of coaching? They have to 100% be ready to be coached and have a lot figured out before they've come into sessions. Uh, I don't think that's a requirement. Um, I think what what I need clients to come into sessions with is a willingness to be coached, the end. Um, And that may mean that you've done some work and it may mean that you've done no work to that point and that we need to really kind of start from the very beginning. And I think that's fine. As long as you see that something is not working in your life and you want to figure out how to change it and you're ready to do the work that might be uncomfortable or strange or different to get there, then I think you're ready to hire a coach. Sounds all very logical, very good process. And that kind of brings us up to today, which is the the coaching work after you've kind of taken a, a tour, a lap down memory lane. Now we're here to today where you had a coach that inspired you to take this leap. Talk to us about, you know, a little bit, you mentioned leadership um, in the coaching that you're doing, Becky, about, you know, what you prepare, what you say to your clients to be ready and willing, just having that mindset to want to be coached. So take us to today. I have kind of a, I'll frame my focus like this. And it's interesting that you pointed out that I back in 2005 came up with this two column list, but I have this, this theory that the formula for happiness in life is really pretty simple. Do more of what matters to you and less of the rest. And um, simple doesn't mean easy, right? And so all of my coaching work really centers around how to help people figure out and implement their happiness formula. And I do a lot of that work in the leadership context, figuring out the kind of leader they want to be, the parts of themselves that they need to grow, develop, and expose to really bring that authentic leadership to the forefront. But I also work with clients on issues of, um, I'll call it work-life integration on balance issues, figuring out like, I'm just stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stuck, I'm up, up against a wall, and I need to unwind it. And so like, let's put it into these two columns, which is, again, simple, but not always easy. Um, And then let's figure out how to start subtracting and and how to make time and then how to match your time spent to the things that matter to you most. I guess that's a very broad way of saying I like to work with highly motivated, highly driven people to help them step into their leadership potential and live happy, easy or easier um, priority aligned lives. Yeah. When do you think the first time that you tried this kind of two column exercise or basically a very simplistic approach to achieving happiness? Probably back in 2006 or five, whenever that was, I, I wouldn't have n- been able to articulate that at the time, but that's where it started. And, and it's something I learned, um, from my parents, frankly, but never really did in my own life until that point. Yeah. So you started with yourself, you yes. were patient zero. And then when did you first start introducing it into client sessions? I mean, let's be clear. So, you know, at that point, I made a career transition and I went into a position at a big law firm where I was managing 
200 plus people for about a decade. So I started doing it with employees then, you know, kind of realizing that, hey, wait a minute, you're unhappy or this situation isn't working. What do we need more of? What do we need less of? And let's figure out how to make that happen. Um, and then working with clients uh, in in a in a paid professional context as a coach, I've been doing that for just over a year. Yeah. So this kind of stemmed from your original work in the in the business world as a leader mm-hmm. that grew into clients. Have you been noticing very similar reactions from direct reports to you know to solo practitioner? Uh, I would say it's different in one meaningful way. When you're coaching a direct report. Uh, it's hard to escape the reality that you supervise them. And that brings with it certain constraints and a certain construct, right? When I Mm -hmm. work with a client in the coaching context, I have no personal attachment to the outcome of our conversation. I'm not worried about losing an employee. I'm not worried about getting a project done. I'm not worried about what else I've got going on. I'm fully focused on that client. And so we're able to take a much more complete in my mind and holistic approach than would be achievable in the context of coaching somebody that you manage. Not that you can't be a good coach as a manager, you can, and not that your employees won't come and be honest with you and be willing to have open, authentic conversations. They can, but you cannot escape the reality that you supervise them. That level of balance, right? That hierarchy is always there. And so you you brought up the one of the the core coaching principles is which is offering suggestions or not really well offering suggestions without attachment. And since you've kind of laid out that hey this process is something that was very personally profound to you that you've used in your professional life, does that show up at all when you're using an exercise similar to this with your clients? You mean do I get attached because it worked for me? Sure. Uh no is the short answer. I mean, I I think Mm -hmm. you've hit on it. Like one of the critical things um, that was part of my coaching education, and frankly, that's how I approach coaching generally, is that I'm actually not attached to outcome. Um, I'm I'm not, you know, if if for some reason we can't engage in this two-column exercise or this isn't the piece of it that unearths the breakthrough, then we try something different. Um, but I find it's a good starting point, right? Like one of the biggest things or one of the biggest benefits that I see with my clients is the container that coaching provides to allow you to dump all the stuff that you're carrying around and sort through it. And that's really what this two column exercise in its simplest form is, right? It's getting out of your head, out of your feelings and onto something physical, tangible, visible, um, all of these thoughts and, and competing priorities that are in your life and then trying to make sense of them. Um, and that's hard to do. We, we don't do a good job. I don't think um, anyone does a great job of doing that kind of exercise on their own. I mean, it took me 18 months when it could have taken me eight weeks. So <laughs> mm. having the container matters, you know? Absolutely. So if we're going back to the container, the coaching work you've doing, you've introduced this tool, which is tied in very nicely with your history. There's a couple directions we can go here. We can keep talking about, you know, the results that you get after you've helped your clients navigate. We can also talk about other coaching work you're doing today. But what do you have to share with us, Becky? So I think what we should talk about, just because it's come up a lot recently, and I think it's, I've, I'm seeing it a lot with my clients, especially in, as our um, priorities have shifted in the COVID season that we're living in is how you actually accomplish subtracting the stuff you want to subtract. In other words, how you say no. Um, Mm -hmm. I think people struggle with that. I think it's hard for a lot of people. So 
Um, I'd love to share some thoughts about that, if that makes sense to you. It absolutely makes sense. As uh, as I, I kind of shared with you when we were kind of talking about this episode is that there's a emotional kind of mapping from Gretchen Rubin, which is the four tendencies. And there's, you know, the upholder, someone that responds to everything, the rebel, which responds to nothing, the questioner, which has to be intrinsically motivated, and the obliger, which has to be extrinsically motivated. And I am totally an obliger, which means I have very much trouble saying no. So I would love to hear some of your thoughts around this and some of the work that you've been doing in coaching with it. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about, about saying no, because it's, it's, I'm out here telling people like, put your top priority your top priority, live that and, and get rid of the noise. But how do you get rid of the noise without saying no? And so many people struggle with it. And so generally in my experience, and I don't know how exactly this fits into the Gretchen Rubin framework, but maybe you can tell me, uh, but people are afraid of kind of three things and that's what stops them from saying no. One, they're afraid of missing out. So just the general like standard fear of missing out, but also this idea that the opportunity, you know, once presented, if I say no, it won't come around again. And so I got to grab it while it's here, even if it's not the right time or the right moment or the right thing for me right now. General FOMO. Uh, number, general FOMO. You got it. <laughs> number two, there's a fear of hurting others, right? Like I, I worry that if I say no to my boss, to my friend, to my spouse, that they'll feel disappointment, that there there will be hurt feelings, that they won't like me as much as they used to like me. Um, and so that is out there. And then there's a fear of hurting yourself. Um, and this comes up when you think about being afraid of confrontation, you know, being afraid of, I might have to explain my no, and that'll be uncomfortable for me. Or if I say no, for example, in the workplace, there'll be some sort of negative career consequence for that action. And so um, tell me how that sits with you and your obliger personality, which one of those resonates with you? Or did I miss something? No, I, I think in, in Gretchen Rubin's work, she kind of explains it a little bit more broadly, which is, is that their motivation and their accountability comes externally. So for example, working with someone, tagging a buddy, or that they really enjoy and get satisfaction when someone else is holding them accountable. For me personally, I think number two, which is the idea of, of, you know, that, that not necessarily that I'm going to miss out, but that I really like helping people, which is where my desire and sometimes strengths as a coach comes from is that I really like helping out. And, you know, that's where I get satisfaction. I love to serve, but in turn, that means that you say yes to everything until you get overloaded. And so that's kind of for me personally yes. where it comes from a lot, which is I, I say yes to everything, take on a lot, and then flatline. <laughs> you and a lot of people and a lot of coaches, actually. It's funny that you say that because I've been talking with a lot of, of peer coaches. And that that's the one I think that people in service professions and people with service um, values, with that service as a high value, um, run into that a lot. And so let me run you through a couple of tools that I um, talk with my clients about when they're struggling with saying no. And you can tell me if you think they would help you um, say no more when you need to. So oh, the absolutely. first tool, yeah. So the first tool is to reframe. So there's two ways to think about this. Every time you say no, you're actually saying yes in disguise. What do I mean? So if I say, no, I can't help you, what I'm saying is, yes, the other thing I was going to do with this time is more important to me. Or yes, this I acknowledge this is not the right way to spend my energy right now. And so 
I like to think about it and ask myself when I feel compelled to say yes, but I know that I probably should be saying no. I ask myself if I say yes, what will, what will I be saying no to? Cause that inverse is also true, right? Mm -hmm. Every yes is a no in disguise. So if you say yes to helping somebody out um, with time that you were going to use for rest, you're saying no to recharging yourself. And what will the impact of that be? And how does that fit into your overall priority um, construct? You know, how does that fit into the important things that you need to do for what makes you happy and what's driving your value in your life right now? Does saying yes to this add-on obligation mean that you can't rest and therefore can't show up for your other clients or your paying clients in the way that you need to? You know, really think that through and think about what is it if I say yes, what am I saying no to? And put some definition on that. Um, I think that can help people think about uh, saying no in a little bit of a different way. So that's tool number one. Do you want me mm-hmm. to jump into the next tool or do you have any questions or thoughts about that one? No, I do. I do find that's interesting. Um, a lot of the work that I've been becoming privy to in the past year, especially with coaching supervision, uh, is that as coaches, a little a little piece of us always shows up to the session, no matter what, because we're human beings and being aware of that. And I think early on in my personal coaching was that, oh, I'll I'll feel better when I'm serving people. And I actually don't think of that inverse initially because the the whole thing of if you're saying yes to someone, you know, if you're saying no to someone, you're saying yes to yourself. That to me, I've seen that in many different forms, but recognizing the initial mindset, which is when you're saying yes to someone, you're actually saying no to recharging. You're saying no to self-development. That's kind of a an interesting take on it. And I, I am curious about you know, the work that we're doing, if we're really truly serving our clients by trying to be all in the coaching and not really doing our own work, not taking care of ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, as a coach, I've been wrestling with that too, and finding the right cadence and the right amount of coaching to do, because coaching is a, a, um, energy intensive activity. And so it is really important that I, I think that you give yourself space to recharge, but also that you give yourself space to grow. And I want to keep being able to show up for my clients in the best possible sort of most cutting edge ways. And that means I need to leave space and and room in my schedule um, to do those things. I have three more tools. The last one's very quick. So let me run through Bring the them. next two. So the next one is redirect. This is something I think I think there's a speed in our culture and in our world where we feel like we have to say yes or no right away without getting more information. And so particularly if you live in this world of wanting to serve and and not wanting to let someone down before you say no or before you say yes, do you really have a full understanding of what it is that they're asking for, what the time commitment would be, why they need it, when they need it, what they need, and could you do the work at another time or provide it in a different way? And so I think people just don't slow down because we, especially as coaches, we like to show up in person. Um, and so we don't slow down to really think about how do we pivot? How could we do this later? Could I send them an article I wrote instead and then offer to meet with them, you know, when my schedule has more space? I think there's this, this push to make it happen now, but really often we can redirect. And so that one's pretty simple and it doesn't always work, but it's out there to use. Um, and then the next mm-hmm. one is to to reset. And this one goes straight to the FOMO, right? That's this idea of like, oh, I need to do it because I'll be missing out. I've got to buy the sweater on sale or the sweater won't be there. You know, I mean, we get a million messages a day about things we might miss out on if we don't take quick action and we don't say yes, right? And so the questions I like to encourage people to ask is, do you actually want it? Is there an actual lack 
or a perceived lack? And where does it fall on your list of priorities? And so really taking the time again to slow down instead of jumping to a decision to evaluate, wait a minute, I I feel like I want to say yes. And I feel like I might be missing out, but am I missing out on something that is you know, priority number 12 on my list? Or am I missing out on something that ties right into the thing that is most important to me and then making the decision that way? And so those are the, the big tools. Um, the last one is, is just an idea of um, preparing, knowing that if you're not used to saying no, no is going to feel weird. It's going to feel different. It's going to feel uncomfortable. But just because it feels uncomfortable doesn't mean you're doing it wrong or that you're wrong to do it. Um, And so just be ready to explain your no and to understand the source of your no and to own your no and to own the discomfort that comes with saying no. So those are the big tools that I like to work with when I talk with my clients about saying no. And man, it's something you have to practice. It's a muscle you have to exercise. And it's not something that comes naturally to almost anyone that I know. Yeah. I mean, even an emotional muscle has to be be worked and strengthened and reinforced and maintenance work. So here's kind of what I heard as your framework for saying no, which is the frame, the mindset work. Second is redirect, slowing down, pivoting, looking at other alternatives instead of uh, just going 100 miles per hour. Then to reset, asking yourself, is this kind of worth it? It also is tying into slowing down. And then your last one is the is the feeling uncomfortable. Did I did I recap that appropriately? You did. That was some excellent coaching playback that you just did. I loved it. Yeah. That's a great summary. Oh, totally. So you I mean, yeah, we're gonna I'm gonna be using that stuff all day, every day in this podcast. <laughs> but so you've created this framework. Where do you see it most successful with your clients? When is it paying in dividends? I mean, I think the biggest thing that I see that there's two shifts that I see with my clients when they start to say no more. One is it's a simple issue of time. They actually find space in their schedule to do the things they want to do. And that's big. And we, I think a lot of people struggle with schedule capacity. Then I guess it's not just time, but it's energy and and that kind of thing. So that's a big shift that I see is like, oh, I actually, now I can spend time brainstorming this or spend time learning that. Um, The second big shift that I see is more of an emotional shift where people, when they start to put themselves first, when they start to say yes to their priorities, it's really empowering because suddenly it feels like the work we're doing, the things that we're focused on actually do matter to us. And that tends to have a snowball effect of not just happiness, but more accomplishments in, in the things that we define as critical to our success. So now that you've developed this framework, you've used it with some clients, is it feeding back into your own life? Now that you know you have this history with this kind of these methods, you've developed this process that you're working with clients. What does this do for Becky the human as well as Becky the coach? I mean, you know it's funny, you know what they say about the cobbler's kid and shoes, right? Like <laughs> It's easy to be out here using frameworks all the time and sometimes lose sight of them in your own life. And so I often find myself having to re to get regrounded in wait, no, no, this is what I want. This is my focus. You know, I I recently even just made some shifts in my business to say, no, this is not the time I want to grow and scale. I actually want balance. I want space. I want freedom. I'm I'm have a book coming out next spring that I need to spend some time on. And so I don't want to take on as much business as I could. I need to say no. And so 
you know, the inclination, the early inclination is, oh yeah, more clients, more business, group coaching, let's do it all. And I want to do it all someday, but I'm, I'm going to do it at a pace that makes sense for me. And I'm going to do that by saying no until I'm ready. And how do you know, what are you looking for if you're out of balance, if you've taken on too much, or if you know that you need to start implementing the teachings that we're passing on to other people? I mean, you mentioned a book and and kind of keeping your, your client workload small and spending time with family and so on and so forth. Is there anything else that's going on that you look for? I mean, I have a couple of signposts that tell me that I'm out of balance. The, the two biggest ones are... When I start to find myself saying, well, I'm overwhelmed or I'm so busy, I don't like to say those things. I don't want to be those things. And so those are little signals to me, little flags that, hey, I need to take a look at those at that, you know, sort of list of what's on my plate and think about whether I'm putting my energy in the right place. And the other thing that comes up and it hasn't been coming up recently, but the other way it comes up for me is when I start to get bored. When I start to say, oh, I'm just not challenged. Oh, I'm just not interested. That's a sign to me that I'm, again, focusing my, focusing my energy in, in the wrong direction and need to kind of reevaluate and think about um, what I need to add or what I need to get rid of and add new of. So those are the big, big ones for me. Yeah. So when you're noticing those sign points, you know, boredom, lack of engagement, or the the feeling of the vocabulary that you're not using, what else does Becky do to take care of herself? So, um, I meditate. That's a big thing. And when I don't do it regularly, I see a huge difference. Um, that is a big, important sort of like clarity moment in my daily activity. Um, I also really like to learn, um, sometimes to a point that it's too much. So I try to set sort of learning goals, but also learning boundaries, right? I could spend my whole time uh, digging into new books, new ideas, new classes, new this, new that. And so I really try to say, like, I want to do one class a quarter and I want to read five books a quarter. And I try to just hit those milestones. So those are two two examples of things that I'm doing to take care of myself. Excellent. Well, this has been really cool, Becky. Uh, if it's okay, like I said, we'll kind of post the little snippets of some of your framework um, in the show notes. And uh but if people want to find out more about you, where should they where should they go? Absolutely. So as I told you, a big part of the work I do is helping leaders generally figure out what matters to them so that they can do more of that and less of the rest. And if you want to start unwinding that, um, people can head over to my website, which is www.grantleycoaching, G-R-A-N-T-L-E-Y coaching com backslash podcast and you can get free access. I have a mini course called Unlocking Happiness that sort of takes people through an even broader framework to start to explore uh, exactly what we talked about at the beginning of this, this podcast. And um, also, if you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn or on Instagram at the Butterfly Society. So it's the dot butterfly dot society. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Becky. This has been great. Like I said, you gave uh, a lot of our fellow coaches and leaders some really, really great advice. Sounds like the free course is right up their alley. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. 